Okay, it's a beautiful day. It's just a beautiful day. So I want to continue, and I think this is probably going to be the last part of this part of the uh, Kabbalah of the Afterlife series. Uh, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see how far I can I can get today and what happens in the process. So now we have explored the particulars of the experience of the afterlife from a scientific perspective. We spoke over the past number of classes. We spoke about the arguments, uh, the counter arguments. But there's still one more principle. One more issue that I think needs to be broached and maybe even I'm going to use the word clarified. If you take a look, it becomes fairly obvious that there's a major inconsistency regarding the details of near-death experience with, with, with regarding the details of NDEs, although as a whole, the experiences that are recorded throughout history are similar, the details of the experiences are actually greatly dissimilar. In fact, the entire experience appears to be culturally conditioned. What is encountered varies from one place and time to the next, depending on the geography, depending on the history, and depending on the person who was part of that particular NDE. So from the little that is known of the past, it seems that people who have reported experiencing what we today call NDEs experienced it quite differently in the past than people experience them today. Years back, according to reports, people spoke of first undergoing a series of trials, of judgments, of tests before they're allowed to enter what they call heaven. I'm putting it into parentheses because um, heaven means different things to different people. We've spoken about what heaven means according to Kabbalah and according to Judaism, but it does mean different things to different people. And it's not, according to Judaism, black and white, but rather a linear experience. Uh, I mean, a, a fluid experience. They also often spoke of passing a gate or bridge with a beastly, powerful animal protecting the entrance. This is very common in people's reports of NDEs in the past, in history. Or, this may be familiar to you, a hell of fire and brimstone is another phenomenon that seems to have been very, very popular years ago. The ancient Egyptians spoke of Anubis, a, a dog-headed deity who escorts the soul throughout the journey of the afterlife. Other cultures as well speaking, spoke of barking dogs who did not allow the soul to enter into the realm of the afterlife. 
And many ancient people spoke of the soul crossing a river with a boat or of going over a bridge. I think as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, yes, it's conditioned to circumstance. I'm sure crossing rivers and going over bridges was a big deal at that particular time. There's also a vivid image that's described of a tunnel, per se. But that's not found at all in ancient recordings. Although in ancient recordings, the general idea of transition is present, but it's expressed in different forms, in different images. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the idea of passing through a dark tunnel was common in medieval times, but today, less than 10% of people interviewed say they encounter a tunnel. All in all, many of the concepts that are spoken of today are not found in any of the recordings or any of the literature of the past. And many of the adventures found in the writings of the past are not found in any of the accounts of today. And even today, what is experienced varies from one person to the next, from one culture to the next. People from different parts of the world encounter diverse experiences. Most of the research on NDEs today has been done in the West. In the West, generally speaking, people tend to think along similar lines. And the, and very little research today comes out of the East. But the little bit that does come out is, I would say, unsurprisingly different. In the East, for example, people report that they are first escorted by a spirit messenger. For those of you who have studied Eastern philosophy, that would make sense. And later on in the process, they speak of encountering a man with a book, which for those of you who have studied Eastern philosophy, also makes sense. And once it's discovered that a mistake has been made in the person's time to pass, and the person's time to pass on has not yet arrived, the person is escorted back down to earth by a messenger or a departed relative. So the idea of viewing the body from another location and seeing the body from above is very rare. Also, that panoramic life view that we speak about so commonly in Western reports is completely unknown in the East. This is just an example that I'm giving you, but there's so many other examples that vary from culture to culture. Within each culture itself, the experience varies from one person to the next. Two people can describe a similar experience, but they are in no way similar. The inconsistency, and I would say the apparent discrepancy, has been a major challenge to verifying the authenticity 
of near-death experiences. So for me, in defense of the legitimacy of the experiences, and I say in defense of the legitimacy of the experience is because you know that my take on the world is that I don't make choices for people. I just support and validate the choices they make. And so very often, as part of that support, if somebody comes to me with a particular experience, it's my job to support that experience because I truly know and believe that that experience really happened to that person. So to me, it's important just for the sake of the individual who's having the experience or who had the experience to support the legitimacy of the experience. That said, it's important to keep in mind that not every near-death experience is in fact genuine. It may be imaginary, it may be fantasy, and that's okay. It doesn't take away from supporting the individual who experienced it, because to that person it's very real. The more, I would say importantly, no, I don't even want to say importantly, just more, that people see in their dreams, what they're accustomed to seeing during the waking hours. Actually, there's some study that's been done that most people dream what they experience an hour before they go to sleep, which is why in Kabbalah, we speak about going to sleep consciously, not just passively lying in front of the TV. Kabbalah doesn't talk about passively, passively lying in front of the TV, but that actually consciously going to sleep an hour before you go to sleep to consciously have good thoughts, maybe to write down a recounting of the day or to think about the future, what's going to be. It's called a cheshbon nefesh in Judaism, an accounting. And it's an opportunity for us to think about the day that we had. And if God brought us into this world for another day of life, and did we do the best we could with that day? And make a resolution for the day to come, and then to consciously go to sleep. Passively going to sleep could create these insane type of dreams because of whatever we're watching or experiencing in that hour before we go to sleep. And so to connect it back to our near-death experiences, the near-death dreamlike vision I would say is no exception to that. It's going to take its self from the experiences of the waking hours. I'll take, for example, the idea of going through a dark tunnel. So many medieval artists depicted the journey of the afterlife in terms of going through a dark tunnel. I would say among the more famous is the 16th century painting by uh, the Flemish artist Bosch. It's called, I believe, The Ascent into the Empyrean. And as a result of this reoccurring cultural image and archetype, either 
subconsciously or by osmosis, which in my opinion doesn't even matter when it comes to the subconscious. Near-death visions were almost always accompanied during that time by such tunnel visions. And when that image, for example, Bosch's image, is no longer captivated by audiences, tunnel visions subsided and other metaphors arose. So essentially, images and metaphors are a reflection of their times. Although they're just images and metaphors, what they represent is a truth beyond it. I would say what is more is even authentically revelatory experiences are funneled through the consciousness of the human being. Perception, no matter whose perception it is, as long as there is some measure of ego and self involved, key component here, which in our world, there's always going to be some measure of ego and self involved, is always bound to the physical sense and connected to some material structure. Every experience, even a genuine one, is anchored in a personal understanding and conditioned according to each person's power of discernment and personal proclivities. And it's for this reason, I would say, that even amongst the master prophets, no two experiences are alike. They all speak of of sensing alternative realities. For example, Isaiah, who we say in Hebrew is called Yeshayahu, he saw one thing, while Ezekiel, who in Hebrew is Yechezkel, he saw something else. And both are true experiences, and both are true and valid expressions of the higher power of the divine. Yet each prophet could only observe the experience according to their own level of consciousness. And it would be consistent with their own set and their own setting, which means their prior mindset and cultural and, and, and culture and their environmental conditioning. And this is how the Talmud describes it. When the Talmud describes the discrepancies in prophecies in, in the tractate of Chagiga, it talks about the fact that it has to do with a prior mindset and a prior conditioning. And that's why they're different. So after the experience itself, what they attempt to describe is in conventional, so to speak, or or transmittable language, replete with relevant and, and relatable imagery. I think that pales in comparison to the actual experience that took place. Because that experience took place on another dimension of reality, on a subconscious level. So this is what I would say. Fundamentally, the way people observe life 
is to a large degree dependent on their biography. It's dependent on their education and their environment. I would say those three things, biography, education, and environment. And the various descriptions and imagery of other worldly realities are founded on the ways that that person navigates through time and space, through the realm of existence. The light, so to speak, that we describe, that awaits the person, shines through the vessels of of various images, especially those images that the individual holds dear. The expressions of the experience are channeled through the cultural structure of the experiencer. And so the best example that I can give you is an example that comes from the Baal Shem Tov. He writes it in his magnum opus, Keser Shem Tov. He says, the world is full of mirrors. We see in others the images of who we are. The world is our mirror. I'm going to say that again, because I think it's such an important quote from the Baal Shem Tov. The world is full of mirrors. We see in others images of who we are. The world is our mirror. Now, this is not only true of other people, but even within a higher power, within the divine. God appears, as is understood by each person differently. King David says in the Psalms, in Psalm 121, he says, God is our shadow. Maybe that's where Jung got it from. I don't know. Just a thought. That was for Jill. As such a shadow, each individual person experiences the divine according to the proportions of their own internal paradigm. Inconsistency of the near-death imagery only reinforces the beautiful truth that each soul is truly different and unique. Each one of us has a unique purpose in this world. Each one of us came into this world and into this time and space for a unique purpose. There's no soul that has come before us. There's no soul that has come after us or that will come after us. And there's no soul that is here during our lifetime that has the same unique purpose that we have. If you ever feel down, if you're ever feeling like, what the heck am I doing in this world? Just remember, you have a unique purpose. And the fact that you haven't found it or you're not tapped into it, that's your problem. And that's your job. So instead of feeling down and lonely, instead of feeling like the world is out to get you, feel like, what is my unique purpose? How do we find our unique purpose? Well, we've spoken about this before, but I'll remind you. We look at the things that are easiest for us, and we look at the things that are hardest for us. 
the things that are easiest for us, that are the, those are the things that, that elevate our purpose, right? Because they're easy for us. But the things that are hardest for us, those are the things that we have to overcome. And each one of us is going to have something that's different that's hard. I'm sure if we had a conversation, you would say, wow, that's so hard for me. How do you do that? And I would say, wow, what you do is so hard for me. How do you do that? And each of us would be in awe of each other's purpose. And that's what makes us all unique. And so each one of our souls is truly unique. Each person, each one of us, is operating with a distinct mind, with a distinct, individuated power of imagination. Each one of us has a finite soul and an infinite soul, a finite soul that represents the, the, the facet of the infinite oneness. And so, in my conclusion on NDEs, after this entire deep dive, I think all opinions agree that at the time of death, many people undergo a, a promising and pleasant experience. One that is true, and at the very least, it's true to the experiencer. And that's what matters most. These experiences are often reported to enhance and change lives for the better. And in my world, I would say in our world, that's what matters, is that we can study this and we can experience this. And as a result of this study, which seems so otherworldly, no pun intended, as a result of this study, we can make our lives in this world better. And those are my thoughts on NDEs. Questions, comments, afterlife of threats. Anyone? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but a... Cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I, this makes me think of something I learned a long time ago. There was a class called Out-of-Body Experiences. One of the things he stressed was how we think about the afterlife is how it is going to be. And you kind of, you touched on this very specifically, you know, all our influences are religious or cultural or belief systems. You know, many years ago, they were very different than how they are today. Um, 
And so to work on like this one concept that the universe is a safe place, that we can have this positive experience. And I guess my question is, many of us don't. They, you know, we work on it or we don't work on it, but we don't have this positive experience. And so is that that 11 months after we die that hopefully things get kind of worked out and we kind of get funneled through to the other side of like, all right, between our belief systems or our actions or what have you, it can it can be fixed. I guess that's what I'm saying. You know, are we kind of just like if we, our belief systems aren't in the in the aligned, we're not just stuck in the afterlife. That it's that eleven months of whatever. I don't want to use you know hell or purgatory, but uncomfortableness, <laughs> and we get a fresh start. Is that my am I being clear? I'm not yes. quite sure. Okay. I think there's two elements here. The first I want to address is narrative. Whatever happens to you, that's really important. So often we speak of universal truth. There's no such thing as universal truth as your truth. Now, your truth may change. There is truth that is never changing. But your truth is important. Your narrative and your experience is important and it needs to be validated. And anyone who has an opportunity to spend time with someone who's in a vulnerable experience, who's who's going through this difficult process. It's so important to listen and to validate. Right. It's okay. And so we're always looking, oh, is am I doing this right? And you know, people ask me all the time, is this okay in Judaism? You're okay. God gave you a soul and it's unique. You're okay. Universal truth, that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I think I want to address with what you're saying is that, you know, you're, you're, it's a very common question that I get from people. Oh, is this going to be okay? Am I going to, am I going to go to hell? Am I going to, sorry, <laughs> wrong religion. If you want to, if you right. want to talk about that, you got to go down the block. Yeah. Even though Judaism is not a religion, we've spoken about that before. Yeah. Uh, yes. But, so, yeah. so that's now you want to talk about, universally what 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 we believe we believe that there's no way possible for a soul to experience that cleansing process that is referred to as health for more than 12 months no matter what it may be very painful during that time mm-hmm. depending on the person but it's not going to be more than 12 months and everybody goes to heaven right i mean there are some people who don't even go to who i mean you know with the exception of those who are extremely evil, who just their souls don't exist anymore after, after being in this world, they just kind of get poof into oblivion. But, but the rest of us who are here with the struggle and we're embracing the struggle of life, we will go through a cleansing process and that cleansing process will happen no more than 12 months. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I want to really differentiate between our truths and universal truths. It's so important because so often we get conflicted and think that we're doing something wrong. We're not wrong. We are strugglers. We are strugglers struggling through this life. And that conflict is so powerful. It's so real. And it's so important and should not be taken for granted. The conflict is good. It's a value of ours. 
Thank you. Alessandra. For me, I have, uh, as often, a different take on, on what you, you said about this experience being, I mean, I doubt, I don't want to say that I doubt the experience, but if if the experience is based on our experience of space and time, I want to doubt it because if our soul is not bound by time and space, then our soul, once liberated, should have a vision that is completely different from our material experience of Thailand, Paris, or Montreal. So I'm thinking that if it's real, <laughs> I mean, not that if, but, you know, based on the fact that it's real and that our soul has a completely different experience of time and space and is now bound by that, I don't want to believe that the experience is bound by our physical experience on Earth. Otherwise, it's not a spiritual one. Subjectively, it is. What your I think what your challenge is, it's between the subjective and the objective. Okay. Objectively, you're right. It's never going to be bound by this experience. But subjectively, it is. And subjectively is very important because it's the personal narrative. And and we so often, and I, like I was saying to Jill before, we so often let go of personal narrative in pursuit of the universal truth. And we're making a mistake because how it lands in our hearts and how it lands in our souls is very real. It's very but real. But isn't, shouldn't our soul have a different understanding of it all once it's separated from sure. the physical of course it, of course boundaries? It but we already see from NDEs, it's going to be clouded or enhanced by our experience in this world. And so if NDEs give us the best we can get, right? Because we don't know what really happens. But if near-death experiences are a, 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 a metaphor or an image of what possibly could happen in that process between the soul leaving this world and the, and the next world or the continuation of world, we don't consider it the next world, right? The continuation of world. Then we know that it's definitely clouded or enhanced by the narrative and experience in this world. In other words, we need to make sense of it. And therefore, we may be experiencing com something completely different on a soul level. But since we're going back to a material form, the subjective side of us has to make sense of it and describes it in yeah. a way that we can relate to. Yes. I mean, that's for me, for example. I often have all these ideas and thoughts and I'm studying all these different things. But until I can create a narrative... I can't explain it to you. It took me a while to develop what I just presented to you today because it, you have to be able to put it into words. It's very hard sometimes. I'm going to give you a practical example, and I think one, Alessandra, that really relates to you because I know it's something that you think about. We know, this is anecdotal and experiential, that people who have a hard time letting go of physical things in this world are going to have a harder time and then transition. I know that you love letting go of physical things in this world. And that letting go of physical things in this world is very good for the soul's transition. 
it's hard. I know. Look, I, I'm not I'm not attached to so many things, but I'm very attached to my books. And I wonder sometimes. For me, I have I have to constantly learn to let go of my books because I know that whenever that day comes for me, that I'm going to have a very difficult time because I'm so attached to the physical book, which I shouldn't be. But I don't know. It gives me a lot. Having my library, it gives me a lot of comfort for some reason. And I know that's going to be something that's going to be a problem in the long run. And I'm just giving you an example. So yeah, that, yeah. that narrative is clouded. Right? Do I really need that book? I don't know. I want that. For some reason, I can't tell you why. It, it gives me comfort having being surrounded by books. My wife, on the other hand, she's like, okay, choose this many books to have in the house. <laughs> you know, and, and if you want to bring a new book, you got to get rid of an old book. And, and that's very hard. No, I want that book and I want that book. And and think about that in the narrative of that transition and letting go of those physical things. That's gonna that's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Even though your books are in your head, Rabbi, they're just uh you know, you, you need them for reference only, but I'm sure they are perfectly visualized. You already own those books. You yes, can let them go. But I, but I need to look at them every so often. And even if I don't, I need to remember that they exist there. Sure. <laughs> and I it's, hear it's, you. Yeah. But but I'm but I'm in that process, and I've done a I've I've done something that it's taken me a long time, but I've I started purging my library because I know that that's part of my my struggle in this world is to let go of that and to remember, like you said, that it's in my head already. I've already read it. I've already gone through it. I've already pieced it apart, and now I can let it go in the physical form. Yeah. Thank you, Marianne. Yes, hi. Um, my father had an, an, an what do you call NDE, and um, I then I thought that I would like uh, because I wrote it. I would like to believe that there is an afterlight, an afterlife. The thought of not believing that there is an, not an afterlife, there is no hell for the bad, and there is no connection with the ones we loved. So for me, it's just it was too hard to um, just to believe and I do hope that there is an afterlife because when I ask myself the question are the rational arguments for afterlife compelling or do I only believe that there is an afterlife because I want to I guess uh, there is an afterlife because I want to believe that there is an afterlife you know so for me it's important since since the time my father had this NDA, I do believe that there is an afterlife. That's all. Because I want to believe it. Because I want to stay in touch with the ones I loved. So for me, there is no question. I want to believe it. And I do. And that is exactly, Marianne, what you just said is exactly an example of narrative and how important personal narrative is in this conversation. Thank you. You 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 explained it perfectly, better than I could have ever done. Thank you, Kelsey. So I'm traveling today, but I wanted to make a few quick comments. In acquiring some of my certifications, I heard about this woman. I can't remember her name, but 
she experienced this period about two weeks that she was able to see the light and dark spots in people. And so she learned that people reflected our dark, our dark spots. And so after hearing her experience, I started to ask myself whenever maybe I would get irritated or not like an interaction, what was that person reflecting back to me? And so that has completely changed my interactions and experiences with people. I hope that makes sense. And then, um, so that's my nugget for today is that that is a Jewish concept in the Baal Shem Tov had mentioned that. I didn't know that. Um, and then I've also neg- noticed within people that our egos keep us from holding an emotional capacity for people that are struggling. Whenever they're reaching out for help and whatnot, people will just shut down because they just don't have time or whatever. They don't want to deal with it. So I just you know, take it for what, what you want. <laughs> No, thank you, Kelsey. And I think the, the the conversation with the mirror is such an important conversation. So often we get defensive and argumentative, especially the people who matter to us. And we have to remember that it's a mirror. There really is a mirror. Light and dark are not opposites. They're, they're, they mirror each other. Sartre, at a different time, did say l'enfer c'est les autres. Yes. Hell yeah. are the others. Because they send you back a mirror of yourself. Exactly. Julian, they can send you positive things too. I hope Hopefully. so. Mostly positive. <laughs> My God, if it was only hell. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, we're so easy, you know. It's so funny how the negative, you know, that becomes the news. We're so attracted to the negative. Yeah. You know, often there's traffic because everyone's uh, rubbernecking to see what happened uh, on the side of the road. <laughs> we're yeah. so attracted to the negative. But I think that that's part of our job in this world is to be as attracted to the positive as we are to the negative. Yeah. And hopefully one day even more. But he was saying that we are we exist through le regard des autres through the sight of others. So the way we exist, the way people look at us, that that's what he was arguing. I know. Yeah. These are what I've learned in school. I haven't read him after being 16. My apology. (laughs) That was a good memory. Yes, I was good at the time. (laughs) Julianne asked, uh, can we have spiritual library in the next world? And this is not what's known as the Ashic records. People say that there's an Ashic record, which apparently correlates the book of life and records mentioned in the Jewish Bible. I mean, yes, but even the library, like Alessandra said, the book is in my head. I read it already. I have to be okay with the fact of letting go the physical book. That's what I'm talking about. So, yeah, of course, what you know, you can never unknow. And you will take that with you into the next world. And that's why, for many reasons, aside for first and most importantly, let's remember, we do to make this world a better place. We have a job in this world. We're only studying the afterlife to make this world a better place. But in addition to the knowledge that we have and the education that we have that helps us in this world, we also take it with us. There's not many things we can take to the grave 
Our knowledge is one of them. And titanium in our bodies, that's another thing. And uh, all those other wonderful, anyway, sorry. We dropped that in the cemetery, the titanium, no? Oh, really? Does it come along? But it, come, but it goes to the grave. It goes to the grave. But it's like the diaspora, you know, like we yeah. we take with us what we know. We can't take the piano. We can't take the... That's right. But we can the, take the, the music. Thing, but we, we can, can take, take the, the piano, music. but we can take the music. Yeah, because we know the music. That's right. That's how we've survived, Rabbi. That was the very first class. Yeah. <clears throat> that was ahead. the very first class. I know. How... I knew Cheryl was going to say that. Yes. It went from the heart and feeling it and the mind and the soul plunked it out on the piano. Yeah. And how did it do that? Because it needed the soul to do that. I remember that like it was yesterday because it made such an impression on me for everything, songs, anything. Wow. Of how that our was, soul reacts. Cheryl, that was 48 classes ago. Yeah, but it was way more time space because we had so many days off yeah. but yes it was 48 classes at all but yes i remember it just like alessandra remembered whatever it was was that from high school <laughs> whatever <laughs> you quoted i can't remember that far back sorry i'm older than you so my memory chunk is only for a certain time yeah so jamil asks what about those that are living in an aimless life, how can we enhance their experience as we are interconnected It is our duty? Just love them and accept them unconditionally. That's it. We can't change anyone, but we can love them and accept them unconditionally. We don't make choices for people, but we can support the choices they make. And sometimes if they wanna live with, in misery under the table, we're okay, we're strong enough. We can sit under the table with them for a little bit in their misery and then we'll come out and we'll smile and we'll be ourselves but we could we could sit with them under the table for a few minutes if if that's what they need and we can validate them and hopefully the goal of sitting with them under the table is we'll be able to bring them up and they'll be able to sit thank you thank you for your answer rabbi and good morning everyone good morning. Uh, just if I may add, since you did mention that it's the bi the biography and the environment that kind of makes uh, whatever a person is, whether they decide to be aimless or uh, to pursue a, like a purpose, uh, I don't know. Is it some like is there something we can do for the future generations for them to not have uh, such hardships and have the more first purpose? Step, the first step is validate, validate, validate. We don't do enough validating. We don't do enough allowing people to experience their lives. We don't make choices for them. Even if we know what's better, it doesn't matter. It's their life. It's their narrative. And we have to allow that to be. So the first thing, there's other steps to it. But I would say the most important step is the step that is overlooked. And that is the step of validating. Yes, and it starts with children. Thank you. It was so easy. And anyone who's close with us, parents, children, siblings, the people who we have to be around, spouses. We keep telling our children, come on, stop stop crying, get up and go. Oh, yeah. you're bored. You're not supposed to be crying. 
move along. So we're, we're trained not to be validated. You know? yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm putting such an emphasis on it, because we are trained not to be validated. Chava. Thank you. I'm pondering validation a lot lately because I'm just going to give use myself as you know my personal journey with it. I don't understand you know why it is that I my ego needs somebody else's validation to feel as if um, what I think, say, or do is important or worth something. I mean, what do you think that is about the human condition that we need this, this, um, this help with our ego? Yes. I think that's a great question. And I think that even if I were to answer that question for you right now, it wouldn't do you any good. That is a great life learning question. Why do I need other validation in order to feel lift it up. Why can't I have self-validation to lift me up? That is a great life question. Rabbi, I'd like to add on to that. So, Celeste, I've done a lot of work on that. And something that I've noticed is whenever I validate myself, I guess, I feel more hardened. I guess you would say to the world, uh, like maybe there's a sense of guilt that I should like be softer in in a in some aspect. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's been an observation of mine. That's the definitely follow. Kelsey, I'll add to that. Often it's guilt, and often we confuse guilt with shame. And something in the process of thinking about that self-validation is to think about the difference between the times that we feel guilt and the times we feel shame. Alessandra? The other day, I reminded my brother, who's 22 years old, I'm trying to pass on some gems to him, um, to smile. Because I find that, regarding whatever your state of mind is, if you remind yourself, smile, the simple fact that you're smiling, I, I feel like it sends yourself love and, and your state of mind changes immediately. And I think that once you start self-loving a little more, you you need less validation from others. I'm not saying to be cocky. You know, I'm not saying loving yourself arrogantly. But, you know, send yourself bubbles of love and, 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 and live according to your values and you will need less validation from the outside. That's my experience. And reminding yourself to smile is essential. Amen. 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 With that, uh, who wants to start their golden nuggets? Kelsey, why don't you give us a golden nugget and you can pass it on? I think it really has to do with the, the reflection, the mirror, 
I, I didn't know that that was a Jewish concept or that it was tied to the Bible. So I like that you drew that out. And I've just appreciated this conversation today. My little animal soul activity is having a good time singing, if you can hear her. Um, Thank you, Kelsey. Um, pick my nugget. We talked a little bit about negative energy and how, you know, we're, we crane to see the car accident and how it makes sense that negative energy is louder and more in our face because it has to do with our safety and it's protecting ourselves. So we really have to work. I have to work on seeing the positive, seeing the good things that are are there. And because most of the negative now isn't about safety and we're giving it a lot of, you know, a lot of light and it doesn't, you know, doesn't need as much as we're giving it. So I think my, my nugget is just to continue to focus on the positive because the negative will make himself known if if there's a safety issue i don't have to worry about that um so focus on the positive and i think from one of our first classes like what's our job is just to be a little bit better than we were yesterday so that's what i'm taking from today and how about mj i'll pass it to you Thank you. Um, this class was really, really amazing. Thank you, Rabbi, seriously, as always. Um, what is my nugget today? I think it's when you talked about narrative, our own narrative. When you were saying that in some culture, there's a relationship between their interpretation of the afterlife. There's some perhaps metaphorical truths and whatnot. And, and I just really like that. But I had an, 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 uh, in my head, I was thinking a bit, someone said that, but isn't this the ultimate? I mean, how come there's not an ultimate truth though? Why is, does it have different sort of medium or interpretation and whatnot. And then you were saying that, well, that's another discussion. But then you kept on saying that your own narrative matters, your own narrative matters. And I think this particular sentence is my nugget as to understand that uh, ultimate truth exists and has its own, I mean, I misunderstood, <laughs> but ultimate truth is, exists. But how I live or my narrative also matters. And it's, yeah, that's it. I don't know if I explained myself well. <clears throat> Something like that. There's also the question of Kava. Why do I care what people think so much? And that's a, it's a serious struggle anyways. So um, yeah, that's it. That's my, my nugget for this morning. And I'll pass it to uh Rima yes hi thank you uh this was a great class there's several things that I am uh, uh I wrote down I really like the idea of 
guilt versus shame. Um, have to think about what is what and how um, how that impacts us. Um, also, I like Rabbi how you said to go actively to sleep versus passively, and that's um, that really kind of strike with me. And um, I have uh, I also like how Alexandra said. Um, we will need less validation from others if we value ourselves a little more. Really like that. Thank you. And um, who else did not speak? Fami? Uh, hi, good morning. So uh, what can I say? So I, I, I maybe I will comment. Uh, uh, so these days I'm in that uh, in that thing, you know, like the the Jewish dating thing, you know. And uh, so I listen to Aliza and to you, Rabbi, in uh, on internet. And you know, there is a video which I mean, uh, it was like, how can I, how can I live happily married forever? I mean, so and and actually, when you when you listen carefully to what uh, Aliza answered, her brilliant—I mean, he, you understand exactly what's the the heart of Judaism. You know, Judaism reckon the genius of, which is crazy for me to say this. The genius is like upfront. Judaism recognizes that this world is not yours. Upfront, it's not yours, but it gives you the tools how to navigate it. Actually, it's like a GPS. So we have like uh, the world around us, and and the Torah gives you. I mean, it tells you from the beginning. You know, this is not your world, but if you want to to move, as the world moves. As the world is in perpetual movement, this is how we should do. This is this is this is this is this is, this is, this is, this is uh, the rule. So, uh, and when I see her try to apply this for like uh, for dating and how to finding a partner is not about love, but it's how you can fulfill your mission. How can you? find someone helping you fulfill your mission this is like this is like very very profound and like uh, no other no other people no 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 other no other like uh, religion like or something like else like like who did it like this i mean like it's like a very practical i mean the world is not yours and if you want to survive this is this is these are the law you better follow them you're not you're not obliged to follow them but uh, so we so i go back to that thing that people think that everything is flat you know everything is uh, constant you know but the world is moving every have creation people die people you have seasons you have and and again the genius of Judaism so uh, is like to to recognize this upfront and not, and not try to fight it, but try to live with it and how you can make the most of it. This is, I think, the genius of, uh, of our Torah. Uh, 
I also thereby remember like uh, maybe one year ago when you said like before the soul come to this earth, it's like it's it is standing next to a, to a pool, you know. It's standing next to a pool, and you know what he's thinking: Can I go in? Why I should go in the pool? But uh, once it is in it, she starts liking it, and she starts to want to stay more. But you know, while while maybe the first, I mean, and we, I mean, the first thing is like the pool. Don't be accustomed too much to it. It's not yours anyway. I hope I didn't. I did, but uh, I hope I didn't like uh, take too much time here. So, who is next? Cheryl, uh, it's you. Thanks, Fami. I don't know about nuggets. I just have so many things to say, and one of them is a question for you, Rabbi, because I too, like Joe, had been listening to your Kabbalah classes online from 2018. And I didn't know if you were going to continue that podcast at all, or was that just during period of time when you were doing those classes in person. But I learned so much from there. And that's how I found out about this class. And so that all kind of ties together. And I want to stay connected. But if this is our last class of this, I don't know how I'm going to stay as connected. So that was just one thing. And I know you have lots on your plate, but you did say today, you said how long it took you, and this relates to something you said in one of your classes, how long it takes you to prepare for this class because you have so much knowledge to share. And yet you need to, I forgot what your word in the classes were, but to condense it basically. And so that we don't overfill our vessels so that you fill our vessels, but not overflow because then we would be very confused. So you do such a great job of taking all of that information and knowledge that you have and making these classes doable for us. So that's my nugget. I want to thank you for that and all of your hard work. Thank you for that. Um, this class is not, we're, we're back on next week. It's just going to be not about NDEs. It's going to be about something else. Oh, it's, okay. we're, I'm continuing on yeah. the afterlife. It's just, I'm finishing today this deep dive into the NDEs part of the afterlife. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so we're still good. Don't worry. Okay. And I need to say one more thing. Marianne, you said that when your father explained or said to you about his NDE that you were a believer and that was it. I guess I've been a believer for a long, long time. And yet here we have Alana, who is not a believer. And yet we really need to accept all. We're not trying to convert your beliefs, obviously, Alana. But I love the fact that you show up every week and you don't even believe in this. So good for you. You can go next. Oh, I love that. That was such a great segue. Um, no, I'm, I'm for sure not a believer, but that's so great that we can appreciate and, you know, recognize and appreciate and accept, you know, differing views, right? Because we're, we're, we're different people and it's so nice to be able to do that in a supportive environment like 
you know, it's non-judgmental. So, but what I really do get out of these classes and this talk always goes back to what the rabbi spoke about so many different times about our purpose. So when we talk about, you know, afterlife and death, as I get older, I'm much more focused on what is my purpose? How can I be better in the everyday life? And to me, that's why it's so it's so meaningful because we tend not to think about, you know, death. And so it just, it, I think it is important. I don't believe in the after life part, but I believe in this life. So what can we do to make it better and be a better person? Okay. And I'm going to pass it on. Who's, who's left? Uh, Rima? Yes, I already won. I, I think um, yeah, we have Chava and we have Jill and Mary, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Jenna, Julianne, Jamil. Celeste. Did someone say my name? I couldn't tell. You can you can take it next. Oh, thank you. I for me the nugget is was the uh, very beginning, the the quote that you read from uh, Baal Shem Tov. I the, the world is our mirror, and every person we meet is our mirror, and and that's my nugget. Uh, Jamil, did I did I hear Jamil hasn't gone? Thank you, thank you so much. Um, if it's okay with you, uh, Rabbi, I'm going to go back with what I did mention previously. Uh, there was a documentary that I watched, which is called um, Three Identical Strangers. Uh, it was an experiment made in a Jewish uh, orphanage. And they were three twins that were separated at birth. And they followed them up to an age of seven to eight years old. And eventually, they uh, basically, they uh, they found... They found out at 20 years old, I believe, that they were separated and they were part of an experiment. But all that to say that they showed how uh, the environment and uh, the parenting and the upbringing brings people to different paths. Uh, one of them uh, was extremely social. One of them wasn't. One of them ended up committing suicide. So that just brings back to the question of how can we convince people uh, to basically on a universal agreement that there is a proper way uh, to present the experience of life to every person that com comes to this vessel or comes to this experience and make it a better experience for them and to make sure that they do not end up being or evil uh, or aimless or, you know, uh, or not leave this world uh, in peace so uh, it's something that always goes back to my mind I, I hope it's not too long of a question to ask so. we're going to address it in the coming weeks but uh, we'll we'll pass on since we're running late we'll uh, pass it on no uh, Jill no I already went oh sorry that's okay 
Is it? Uh, is there anyone else that? Uh, Jenna, did she go? Uh, oh, Julia. I haven't. I haven't gone yet. I'll go. Okay. Sure. Rabbi, first of all, I want to say I just feel like it's such a blessing to hear you speak, and I'm so grateful to be here, and also hear from everyone else because that's the power of learning. Um. The idea of reflection is very powerful, and I heard it before, but I haven't thought about it in a while. And so I, I thank you for the refreshing idea. And I also really liked what you said about validating other people's experiences, because I don't think that personally I do that enough. So I, I think that that's my nugget. Thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words, Julianne. Thank you. Um, thank you for answering my question. Um, I should point out in the comment that I made afterwards where I put we should maximise our memory in this world to help take as much in the, to the next world as possible. That was referring to the physical memory or the physical mind, but there's also a concept of a spiritual memory. In other words, I don't know that this is from Jewish sources. Uh, that'd be interesting to see if there's a correlation. But there is a concept that the everything is remembered by our soul or spirit, but our physical facilities, faculties, are only able to take in a, a finite amount and they're imperfect, whereas the spiritual soul takes in everything. So as to whether my comment applies to the spiritual so I don't know, but I'd be interested in any thoughts you had. There's a Mishnah that says there's an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and everything is recorded. That statement is 1900 years old. Today, we understand that much better because we understand that there is <laughs> videos, cameras everywhere. There's recording everywhere. And we understand the idea of recording. But can you imagine 1900 years ago, the Mishnah said that? So I think that there is a correlation with that and there is a source for that in judaism uh, well thank you for that okay is there anyone else that we missed that didn't have a chance just want to make sure we don't miss anyone okay with that i wish you all a wonderful week and to be continued next week same time same channel have a great day great day thank you thank you bye thank you, bye. Thank you rabbi bye Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.